Welcome to the world of fiction, where we're lying, but that's okay. One prepared host, two neurodivergent nerds, two authors dig deeper into the lies that expose truths. If you're a fan of fiction with a curious mind, tune in each week for discussions on speculative worlds, fandom, the industry, and creating. Let's talk about publishing. I'm your prepared host, Jay Garrity. And I'm the host who's winging it, Ludlow Adams. For our new listeners out there, every week I choose and prepare a topic because I'm a researcher and a planner. And I find out the topic a half an hour before because I'm an improviser and good on my feet. Let's get into it. So in our MFA program, Ludlow and I have had a lot of courses on publishing paths and the different options out there. And as readers, you don't necessarily know what's going into getting that book into your hands. So we wanted to just kind of go over some uh, general things and maybe some specifics that readers might find interesting um, and talk about the behind the scenes, how these books get out there, because it's not really a very simple process. No, it's, it's, it's a pretty crazy process in a lot of ways. And, and when JS says, Hey, you know, we've, we've done a bunch of classes on this. Like not only have we done a couple of classes specifically on these topics, a lot of the classes that we've taken have touched on them as well, have mm-hmm. reinforced some of them or have dealt in some different aspect of the way you build your career. So it's, uh, it's definitely been an education in that regard. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a, I, I think we've mentioned this in our episode on MFAs, but the program that we chose is um, very focused on the business side and how you can make your career happen yeah. as a writer rather than the more like scholarly literary yeah. um, kind of cerebral, um, which I think is great because it really actually prepares you for this career. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm really pretty excited about it. Um, we are going to be done in four and a half months now, four months in mm-hmm. a week, which is a little scary. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll see how that works out. <laughs> um, um, and it definitely lends itself really well to this topic because we we both have to consider. Like, where do we want to go with our careers? How do we start our careers, et cetera? So, and this was the, one of the first times that I've opened that email, um, you know, half an hour before the show and thought, oh, okay. (laughs) Most of the time I open it up and I look at it and I'm like, I have to talk about what? (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) Let me look a couple of things up real quick. Yeah, we've done some tough episodes yeah. so far. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a, a little bit of a softball for this one. Um, we're both incredibly busy right now, so yeah. it, it works out that way. And I think, you know, lighter topics among the harder topics is good for yeah. our listeners, too. Yeah. Yeah, so, so if you're start... one of the, the people who listens and says, hey, why can't you guys talk about fun stuff? Here's your fun stuff episode <laughs> for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's start with traditional publishing, because yeah. I think that's what most people are already familiar with. Um, 
this is when your book gets bought by a publisher and they do um, all of the logistical stuff and you market and produce the material they want by the deadlines they want. Um, sounds simple. It's not really as simple as it sounds. No, no. It's crazy no. behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you say, oh, you know, a publisher picks it up and, you know, goes to publish it. And there's multiple steps to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is pretty it, crazy. Neither of us have uh, traditionally published yet. Um, we both have plans to go that route, right? Is, were you, are you thinking of? Yes, I am mm-hmm. prepared to take a few steps down that route. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I did, um, I have done some querying for agents. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a little bit, very little bit <laughs> right. before I decided to go with self-publishing for my debut. Um, but I do plan to get back in it for my, my next work, which is a, a fantasy. Yeah. Um, but the, the first thing you need to do as an author um, is have a, finished manuscript and that doesn't mean you're just finished writing that means you've had it edited you've had it proofread you've done beta reading and you have a polished manuscript yeah one that you would feel comfortable publishing if you did self-publish um so it, it should look like a final product to you it's not going to be the final product if you go traditional but it should feel like one um to you as the author Yeah. And this is one of the things that a lot of people are going to be like, really? Yes. Yes, really. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe 20 years ago, 30, 40, 50 years ago, you could have gotten away with something a little rougher. Um, But now, what it really comes down to, a traditional publisher is going to look at whether or not they can afford all of the work it's going to take to get you publishable, published, Mm -hmm. and then of whether or not they're going to recoup those costs and actually make money yeah. on it. So yeah. yeah, now we want a, an even closer to being perfected product than, than ever mm-hmm. before. Including they want us, for traditional publishing. Yeah. Yeah. They want to spend time on editing to, um, you know, tweak things that mm-hmm. they, they feel will land better with the market and with leaders. Uh, readers they don't want to spend time editing grammar mistakes yeah. and spelling mistakes yeah. and just basic and writing having, skills yeah and having to rebuild plot like yeah you know if if somebody looks at an editor looks at your stuff and says wow this would be really good if the plot was completely rearranged no that you're mm-hmm. not going anywhere until you come back with it completely rearranged um yeah or you know, if somebody says, yeah, go ahead and resubmit this at later, or they might say, you know, we're not interested in this, but please go ahead and submit something else down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it doesn't mean that you did a terrible job. Um, it just means they know the market and they know what yeah. they can sell. Yeah. Um, and, and that doesn't mean that your book is has no chance now because there are other markets that you can go to. And we'll talk about that when we talk about um, self-publishing, but well, there's even more markets within, 
you know, the, the traditional publishing. So somebody mm-hmm. might say, one acquisitions editor might say, no, this is no good. You know, this isn't going to work for me or for what, you know, my publishing house is doing. But there might be an imprint of the same mm-hmm. publishing house where an editor says, this is perfect. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you're going to get a hard pass. I mean, a hard pass from one editor and another editor is going to say, yeah, yeah, let's yeah. let's work this out. Absolutely. Um, which if you have an agent, they're doing that heavy lifting for you. They're yeah. finding the publisher that they think yeah. your manuscript will fit in with. They have the networking. They have the connections. Yeah. Um, and they'll look at imprints. They'll look at, um, sometimes they'll look at small, smaller publishers and indie publishers. Yeah. Um, which can be a great place to look if the more mainstream big house publishers aren't interested. If it's not something that's super marketable, but still something that uh, there is an audience for and the audience exists for. And- and that's actually one of the steps I was alluding to earlier. Um, mm-hmm. If you're going to go traditional, you're almost always going to want an agent. Yes. Now, sometimes you get the agent after you get the initial contract, which is kind of funny. Like people, mm-hmm. I, I've I've had writer friends, writer acquaintances, people that I follow, etc. Say literally say things like. No agent would take me. Then I got a contract in hand mm-hmm. and I got an agent right away. Well, yeah, yeah of course, because the agent is like, hey, I'm going to get a cut of this, even though yeah. I didn't really have anything it's to a do with that. Sure deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you do want an agent because agents often have backgrounds in law and definitely backgrounds within the industry. Yeah. And especially if you're a first time author you could get screwed over really easily if you don't have an agent yeah. in your corner yeah. um, keeping an eye on things for you. Uh, and, you know, if something happened to your contract and it fell through for whatever reason, your agent would be able to say, okay, let's take this to, let's go to an indie press or a small yeah. press and see if they'll pick it up. Yeah. And for anybody listening to this, like ideally what happens is the agent knows people, like a lot of people, a lot of editors and has an idea of what's going on. Now, that usually takes time to grow and develop those contacts and stuff. So Mm -hmm. sometimes what will happen is a new editor at an established, excuse me, a new agent at an established agent firm or agency firm or firm or whatever we want to call it. Um, is going to be in pretty good shape because they're going to be able to lean on some of the other um, Mm -hmm. knowledge base within their, within their company, new companies, new agents, that's where it might get a little trickier, but then again, people have struck gold doing that too. So Mm -hmm. um, if all of this sounds like a little weird and and almost like alchemy, yes, yes, (laughs) it is. It's this really weird process. Um, Brandon Sanderson has, has often said that, what happens is people get in and get in, meaning into uh, traditional publishing and become, you know, established. And then everybody figures out how they did it. And then they nail those doors shut behind mm-hmm. you. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's a little weird sometimes. Yeah, it used to be that um, all you needed was the query letter 
Yeah. It's the letter that gave us gives a synopsis of your book and um you know where your book would fit into the market, essentially a sales pitch for yeah. your your manuscript. Nowadays you gotta network, you gotta make connections. Um it's not as likely to pick up an agent who just read your query letter from their submissions and their emails. I mean, obviously it does happen, but you have a much better shot at finding an agent if you can say, hey, I saw you in this panel at this convention and you talked about this and this is the connection that I have to you yeah. or this is the connection I have to books that you have represented or yeah. authors you have represented. You need some kind of a personal connection um, as a general rule. Uh, Brandon Sanderson didn't even query his first book he you know he talked to people he networked yeah. um and then got a, a deal just from you know conversations and pitching his book in person uh he didn't do the query letter thing at all um generally you're probably going to have to do the query query letter thing even if you make a, a networking connection yeah. um and not all of us have the time or money to go to a lot of events and yeah. network in person like that um, so query letters are really yeah. the best place to be. Yeah. Um, Brandon did a lot of legwork, a yeah. lot yeah. of legwork, um, including, yeah. I think, at one point, like loading up a uh, uh, some kind of a tablet. Now, he's heard a story of somebody who, when the iPads were first on market, like somebody bought a couple or like two or three writers bought a couple and then put digital copies of their manuscripts on it and then gave mm. them out to editors, I think, or maybe agents. I, I forget. Wow. Um, and either way, you know, at the time that made a lot of sense. Like, oh, this is a really cool piece of technology. Let me check this out. Yeah. Um, you know, now maybe not as interesting, but, you know, that's, <laughs> that's kind of what we mean by like those doors get pulled closed mm -hmm. after you, you know? Yeah. What worked for one person is not going to work six months later, which is mm -hmm. just crazy in this industry, I think. Yeah, you do something to make yourself stand out and then everyone's doing the same thing to stand out and then it, it's no longer standing yeah. out anymore because of that. Yeah. Um, even the pitch uh, mad um, on Twitter is now dead. <laughs> you can't do it that way anymore either. And at the beginning, it used to be a great way to make those connections um, with an agent or an editor before querying. When you say, hey, you liked my pitch tweet on Twitter for PitMad. Um, and then because it worked, it stopped working. It became oversaturated with people who aren't serious, people trying to scam. Um, hybrid publishers would go on and like tweets and then set up websites that made it look like they were a traditional publisher but they really weren't. And then you, it's not till you get to the last page that you find out you have to pay a fee to even have your manuscript read. Yeah. Let's actually talk about that real quick because yeah. Yeah. Hybrid publishers. Um, yeah, exactly what JS was just saying. Like they make themselves look like they're traditional publishers or something, but they charge you every single step of the way. Mm -hmm. Hey, we're going to charge you for editing. We're going to charge you for this. We're going to charge you for that. And in a lot of cases, people are like, oh, well, that's no big deal because I have to pay for an editor anyway. You know, there, this is very different 
circumstances mm-hmm. because then when you're done you end up with like a hundred hard copies or something um mm-hmm. and they usually charge a lot more than yeah. you would find for um freelancing like yeah. for a lot of them the initial cost is at least 10 grand just to to get started yeah at least yeah. And, and you can you can go from beginning to end self-publishing with a pretty decent marketing budget for 10 grand yeah easily yeah easily yeah i've i've seen people who have shoestringed it together uh much less expensive than uh, expensively than that like mm-hmm. i've i've seen people go you know from first book nothing to you know first book publish for you know five five hundred bucks mm-hmm. now admittedly a lot of cases that's like digital publishing but we'll, we'll i'm sure we'll talk well we'll definitely i'll be talking about yeah. that in a little yeah. bit but yeah, you can you can do things much less expensively if you're mm-hmm. willing to do a bunch of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might actually be a safer route for you to go because then you have an idea of the amount of work that it takes and whether or not somebody's yeah. being reasonable with you or not. Yeah. But, yeah. Exactly. Um, and it, you might be wondering, okay, then why does anybody ever go to a hybrid publisher? And there's a couple reasons. Uh, one, you get duped. <laughs> you essentially get scammed and there's a lot of hybrid publishers out there that are just scams they are um they're they're not even legitimate yeah um unfortunately and then the ones that are legitimate um they entice people who have that overhead who don't need to necessarily make break even on their book um and they the the value they're providing is the fact that they um, have distribution connections and mm. they could get your book into a physical brick and mortar bookstore, yeah. um, which is a lot harder to do when you're self-publishing. Um, but it's still not as powerful as a traditional publisher distribution wise. Um, and they, they might say they'll market for you, but they really won't. <laughs> um, no the- one's going to market for you in this day and age. You have to do that yourself. Yeah. Um, there, you've you've actually just kind of touched on something. There is a little bit of a difference between saying, okay, I want to go into this hybrid publisher or something, and then saying, hey, I want to make 50 copies of this book for whatever reason. I want to self-publish mm-hmm. it. And we're moving forward with somebody doing, you know, in order to do that. So like a, a vanity press, mm-hmm. kind of different from a small press, but a vanity press is, hey, I want... 10 or 15 copies of this book for my family and that's it or or yeah. something along those lines or 100 copies of this book in order to throw into this museum that I, mm-hmm. I work at you know that where we yeah. deal with this particular topic or something so yeah I, I tend to leave a, a bit more of a of a, a strong line between that and and the, the hybrid press which mm-hmm. is kind of it, it shares a lot of um, it shares a lot of things with that kind of vanity press but yeah yeah it's they're not this okay. they're not quite the same yeah, yeah. yeah. And a lot of people yeah. call any hybrid publisher vanity press which is it's a misnomer it's not necessarily true um but it you can see why there's a connection made there because a lot of times the people going to a hybrid publisher have a lot of overhead cash that they can spend on this um and it's not as huge of a risk for them for it to fail 
um, unfortunately, where where my beef with hybrid publishing comes in is when you get a a new hopeful who doesn't understand the exactly what hybrid publishing is and saves all this money and spends all of this money to get their book out into the world thinking that it'll work like a traditional publisher and then they don't make back what they invested and that can be detrimental yeah and in fact, the in in a lot of those cases, the hybrid publisher knew they weren't going to get it back. Yeah, you know, because yeah. they've made they've made their money up front. Yeah, they don't. They're not super invested in selling your book when they make their money off of you and yeah. not sales. Yeah, again, that's different from even a, um, a small press publisher who will yeah, make small money press from is your, different. Your yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, let's talk about small press now because. Um, Small press can be a great option depending on what your your goals are um, and what what kind of book you're publishing. A small press is not going to give you a um, an upfront check. You're not going to get that. Uh, oh my gosh, what's it called? <laughs> the advance. The advance. Yeah, yeah. you're not going to get an advance with a smaller indie press. Um, but they're still going to shoulder the cost of getting the book yes. uh, made. So yeah. they will pay for the editors. They will pay for the cover. They will pay for printing. They will pay for distribution. They might have a marketing budget for you. Um, sometimes you'll have to come up with that marketing budget yourself. Marketing, so it just depends. Yeah. Marketing more and more is is falling on the shoulders of the authors, even mm-hmm. at the big five traditional like a lot of times one of the things the big five traditional publishers that's random penguin house and you know some of the the really big guys uh the really big Mm -hmm. um, the ones you've heard of yeah yeah Yeah. the ones you walk around walmart and see their books in there yeah yeah typically Uh, simon and schuster and yeah yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. so a lot of times, one of the things they're going to ask you is, well, what's your platform like? What's your author platform? What's your reach mm-hmm. like? How many? And that's like asking, well, how many followers do you have on Instagram? Mm-hmm. It's one of the few times that somebody really wants you to know how big of an influencer you are. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to be bringing your your community over to their imprint mm-hmm. first to find your books and then possibly to find other people's books. Because a lot of times you might be like, oh, you know, Tor publishes this author that I really like. What else does Tor carry? Oh, hey, cool. They've got something else. Oh, I'm going to look at Tor books before I look at anybody else for a while or whatever. Yeah. There are a lot of readers who who read that way. They they look at imprint and publisher and they, it's a name that you trust. It's kind of like when you're shopping for wine and you look at the, um, the label and if you see a, a, a merchant, name that you recognize and you trust that merchant then you're like yeah i'll try this wine i've never tried before because i trust this merchant (laughs) i don't know that i would have picked wine in a hundred years um miniatures so any miniatures gamer out there who's like wine what it's like it's it's like looking at the perry perry miniatures over you know over fireforge if you happen to like that style in your historical wargaming models yeah, that's probably a better example for our, for our listeners. 
That's just what came into my mind. <laughs> we we try to give different kinds of examples so everybody can figure, yeah, you know, yeah. see see what see what uh, envision what we're trying to say. Yeah, it's it's just it's the idea of shopping by label with a yeah. um, a brand or a distributor yeah. distributor that you trust. Yeah, like some people, Barnes and Noble is a distributor that they trust. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's just one of those ways that people tend to shop sometimes. Yeah. Now, would now be a good time to to explain how advanced works out works to people? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the advance. The advance is you you get in with a publisher, small, sometimes they'll do it, but I don't I think typically you're not going to get an advance with a small press. Um I think you're mm-hmm. absolutely right on that, JS. Um I think it would probably be a lot more rare or, you know, medium size or large size or whatever. So a new author or an author signs a contract for a book and the publisher says, we're going to give you X amount of dollars up front. And that could be five grand. That could be 500 grand. It just depends on who you are. Um, And then what ends up happening is you get part of that up front. You get part of it after it's published and then what happens is they hold back your royalties, so the percentage of each book that you would get paid for every time there's a sale, they hold that back until you get that until you make that money back. Mm-hmm. So until you make that five grand or five hundred grand, you're what's called earning out still. Mm-hmm. Now a lot of books in the current market didn't never earn out, like they yeah. never make their money back, but yet those publishers will still do another advance with that same writer because mm-hmm. they're expecting that down the road, you know, it maybe in another, um, another book or something is going to probably earn back and, you know, earn out and make a ton more money, or they're just happy to work with you anyway, for whatever other reasons. There's a lot mm-hmm. of reasons um, on board um, on top of, just making money, which is going to sound really funny in today's business environment, especially in publishing. But they might just say, you know, this this author can have this this book to us in this month of this year, and that fills this hole that we were going we were mm-hmm. expecting to have. So maybe let's go ahead and move forward with it, even though the last book didn't earn out. Maybe mm-hmm. we feel better about this book earning out or something. Yeah. And and they usually not earning out doesn't necessarily mean the publishers had a loss. Yeah. Because the publisher is still making money with yeah. every sale. They make more money on each sale than the author does. Yeah. Author royalties are very, very low percentage. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean that the publisher doesn't make money yeah. on your book if you didn't earn out your advance. Yeah. Now, and my understanding is it's typically like paperback then hardback like paperback gets you um your royalties on paperback are lower than royalties on hardbacks and electronic is different and and audio Mm -hmm. or audible i mean we might as well say audible most of the time even though that's causing some serious issues Mm. in the industry um They have a a different scale and I don't remember where they fall. I want to say sometimes digital is actually higher than print um, because of overhead issues. And then audio is somewhere in there. So writers have been asked, Brandon, 
we've got to invoke the Brandon rule. We, we've got to figure out a Brandon <laughs> rule and start invoking it. Brandon has said that um, people have asked him, well, you know, what would you prefer I do as, as a, you know, as a reader, should I buy all of your hardbacks? Is that going to be better for you as the writer? And he's like, no, if you can get them for the same price, get two paperbacks rather than one hardback and then mm-hmm. give that one of those paperbacks to a friend. To a friend. Yeah. yeah. So like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. you know, even at that point, you might actually have made less money as a writer on royalties with the hope that you've picked up a new rabid reader. A new reader. Yeah. Yeah. Which is more valuable potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. Advances are a little weird. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, just because you didn't earn out doesn't mean nobody's going to touch you again. Doesn't mean that publisher isn't going to work with you again. It's not a failure. yeah. If you don't earn I was out. actually talking with a uh with one of our professors who got a very nice advance and then basically um ended up losing it all because of a uh because of a very litigious person within the mm. publishing ecosphere. Basically Oof. going after both the the author and the publishing house for something. Oof. And that seems to be what that person kind of does. Interesting. Yeah, that's there's there's some legally stuff. Um, that's why it's so good to have an agent. Um, for the most part, most publishers will not require you to pay back any advance that you don't earn back. Um, but you got to be careful because there are there are rare contracts out there where you will be liable if you don't earn yeah. everything back and. That may or may not be something that you want to sign, um, depending on where you're at. And, uh, you know, it, it, all sorts of factors um, that go into it. But um, that's something to, to watch out for and be careful of, because you don't want to be in a position where your book doesn't earn out and, you, and, and you've already spent your uh, advance and then you owe back some of that advance. Yeah. But that's pretty rare. Yeah. Um, it kind of brings to mind, like, you know, yes, there's kind of a standard template contract. Mm-hmm. But even that looks a little different depending on the co- the publishing house, yeah. the company you're working with. And um, is different between, you know, due to your negotiating power. Yeah. So, you know... Mm-hmm. Stephen King has a lot more negotiating power than, than darn near me. any anybody. <laughs> um, and so, you know, is probably going to get much, much, much better terms than somebody who's mm-hmm. brand new or somebody who's a, a mid-list author and has been for, you know, 10, 20 years. Uh, George R. R. Martin was a mid-list author until um, Game of Thrones really broke out. Uh, mm-hmm. The television series more so than the book itself. Yeah. A Song of Ice and Fire is the book series. And, and even that had been out for a long time before it got picked up. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about, we've talked about hybrid publishing. We've talked about traditional. And the mm-hmm. third main publishing path is self-publishing. Yeah. And people used to people 
probably still do. There used to be a stigma with self-publishing where only the people who um, who couldn't hack it <laughs> in the real industry would self-publish. And that is not the case anymore, um, especially with the advent of, of eBooks and e-readers. Self-publishing has become a viable and respectable way of getting your work into the hands of readers. Um, yeah. Some pros for self-publishing that is attractive to a lot of authors is that you have control over the entire creative process. You don't have to sacrifice like the ending you chose or the cover design you have in mind or any of that um, for what the publisher feels is more marketable. Um, and sometimes the publisher is wrong about that. Like there's self-published authors who, um, who might not have been picked up by a publisher or might've had changes made to their work that ends up being very successful. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean less successful. Um, it is harder to sell self-published work because you don't have the power of that, uh, that networking and that, um, that reach that a lot of publishers can have. Um, but you have the potential to make a lot more because you're not paying out the publisher. Um, even though the publisher shoulders all the overhead cost, it's not really free to you as the author. You're still paying for it because they make the highest percentage off of book sales. Um, your royalties are, are low. <laughs> Yeah. But with self-publishing, you have the potential to make a lot more money per book. Yes. I would I would actually semi-disagree with it's harder to sell. Okay. In that there, is, there are specific genres that are not particularly much harder to sell. Like if you become if 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 you want to be a uh, become a romance writer or um, supernatural romance uh, as a subgenre or fantasy romance or horror romance or any of those, you can actually do amazingly well on mm -hmm. Kindle, Kindle Unlimited, things like that. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up because um, genre does matter and, yes. and your goals and the, the audience that you're looking for matters because yeah. a lot of the romance audience they're not looking at a bookstore and picking up a novel every couple months. They are reading a couple novels a week and yeah. they're going to eBooks because they don't want a pile of paperbacks. Right. Yeah. And they don't want to have to pay per book. They want yeah. to use a subscription and yeah. you can make pretty good money as a, as a romance author on the side, even of, of like fantasy or whatever else you're writing. Um, yeah. And, you know, getting paid per page read on a subscription-based model. Yeah. Um, if, so for anybody out there, like, let's say you're an epic fantasy reader or science fiction reader or something, and you're like, really? Go walk around your local Walmart. Um, if you have one. If you're overseas, I don't know. Any, any Like, any place that sells books as part of like a grocery store mm -hmm. or something along those lines and look at what they stock. So I was at Walmart yesterday and I literally had like an hour to kill. Um, and I just walked up and down the book aisle and was like, Oh yeah. Okay. 
about 45% of the book aisle was straight fan was um, not fantasy. Wow. It was romance. <laughs> romance. Fantasy yeah. would not have helped my cause here. Yeah. Although I would love to be a fantasy writer. So that's, that's where I want to go. <laughs> no, it was romance mm-hmm. and it was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Walmart is not in the business of losing money on any series of products. And they are hard nosed and will pivot on a product in a heartbeat. And they will, they, they play hardball with everybody. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you, you can make a lot of money. A um, couple of years ago, when Brandon was putting up his BYU uh, course that he was doing, the How to Write Fantasy, what is it, Science Fiction and Fantasy course that he, he teaches one yeah, time Yeah, the year. creative writing uh, yeah. seminar, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think it specifically it is uh, Science Fiction and Fantasy. And he, he took mm-hmm. it over. He basically took it over 20 years ago from David Farland, um, who was one of Brandon's biggest mentors, I think. But anyway, oh, I didn't know that. Um, he had he had two women there who were making decent five figure incomes from from writing romance, but they wanted to break into other genres. Mm-hmm. So like the, these two gals, these two late gals, they're not. These two women were making good <laughs> livings for themselves as writers. Like, mm-hmm. if I could make five high five digits, I'd, I'd be pretty satisfied for a while. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, and that's where they were at. And that's how they were doing it. Yeah. It can totally be lucrative. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Depending on, on genre and how you're doing it. Um, yeah. And that brings up, how do you choose? How do authors choose which direction to go in? Um, yeah. And it, for me personally, I think that diversification is is a good way to go. Um, I have listened to uh, webinars and um, podcasts and, and different things with authors who diversify their publishing paths. And um, that's my plan. You know, I'm, I'm self-publishing the more emotional, heavier, uh, harder to market because it's emotional and heavier. Um, I'm planning on self-publishing that stuff. And then the fantasy, uh, my plan is to, ter- to try and go traditional and try and find a publishing house that my fantasy yeah. can have a home in. Um, yeah. And then I, I have definitely considered the idea of getting into um you know quick romance novellas to put up on on the subscription based yeah. models yeah i've i've considered writing some romance stuff mm-hmm. um you know i there was this amazing romance series um by nora roberts it's a horror romance uh genre blend and i love it mm-hmm. like i like sometimes i'm like uh i'm feeling kind of down maybe i should read that trilogy again mm-hmm because it's just that good. It's that compelling. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, obviously she has a lot more experience than I do as a writer, period. Um, most especially as a romance author. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's been doing genre blends more consistently. Like she did a fantasy romance genre mm-hmm. blend as well. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's really tempting. Yeah. Really, really tempting. And romance is probably the easiest genre to blend with would say in my opinion <laughs> the, the the most important thing 
it seems like in in romance is a happy ending yes. where they get together a happily ever after at some point yeah it's not considered yeah, it, a real romance if they if you don't have the happily ever after yes yeah mm-hmm. now one of the things that i find really interesting is that kind of like the babysitter club model that romance authors do and like the babysitters club they would talk about a different character per book mm-hmm. and like in a romance series you might get like a group of friends yeah and each book follows a different couple mm-hmm. amongst that group of friends that get together during that book yeah and i think doing that kind of thing for like a horror series would be so much fun mm-hmm. not even romantic horror just straight horror you know it's yeah. like this group of people and you you follow a different member of that group for mm-hmm. every book or something yeah but I think there's a lot of things that might be a lot of fun to play around with in the in the romance genre mm-hmm. and push them into other genres. Yeah. But, yeah. I used to to be snobby about it. Um, I would say, like, oh, I don't read romance. Like, romance, they don't have, they don't care about the story. They just care about getting <laughs> hot and heavy. And I'm not a romance person or whatever. And, and it was totally this, like, elitist attitude that I had. I think I've mentioned on the podcast before how I... It used to have a very elitist attitude towards literature um, growing up. <laughs> uh, very much like literary fiction is is best and that kind of thing. And I've, I've learned better since then, um, growing up a bit. Uh, but I've since learned about romance that um, there's something for everyone. And it can be a lot more fun to write than a lot of authors think it will be because you can put in whatever your thing is, you know, like if your thing is um, really tragic, sad stuff, then you could make a really sad romance, but they still end up together in the end. Um, But it's kind of got sad moments throughout. It's heavier, more emotional. If supernatural is your thing, supernatural romances have a very thriving audience out there i know it seems weird but it is out there and it is a thriving audience that is hungry for more and and typically when js says supernatural romance also known as paranormal romance Mm -hmm. um it is typically urban fantasy romance Mm -hmm. blend it's it's not usually going to be like high fantasy or epic fantasy romance it's going to be urban fantasy Mm -hmm. romance almost always yeah urban fantasy is actually another one that you see a lot of uh, blending with romance where it it could fit very neatly into both categories um but it reads like a romance um melissa marr does that with her fey urban fantasies they're very much romance novels too yeah and this is where I get to brag just a hair to the, our listeners, because JS has already heard this. Um, Melissa Marr, uh, who's a fantastic author, is also a fantastic professor. She mm-hmm. was one of my, she was my professor for one of my classes, and and I I learned so much from her. And she's one of the ones who kind of called me out on something. She's like, I was looking at self-publishing a um, steampunk military military steampunk story mm-hmm. with an ace a row protagonist and uh melissa was like john you're a cis white guy in your middle age 
the last part hurts to hear even more every time I say it. But um, are you really going to be the guy to, to be able to bring this forward just yet? Do you have the credibility yet? And I was like, oh, that's a really good point. Mm -hmm. I don't have credibility as an author at all. So I could, I would 100% agree with somebody looking at it and saying, really, what does he know? Yeah. And not even picking it up. So, um, yeah, I had to sit down and, and this was when I was about to go into thesis and I had to sit down with a friend and literally rewrite like come up with a new thesis yeah. idea and and re-outline it in a couple of hours mm -hmm. with a friend. I will say um, that I've read some of uh, Ludlow's uh, of the original steampunk idea, and it's very good. So you know, someday once you have more yeah. credibility, and yeah. and you know that's that's another thing to think about as an author is if you have a book and you know it needs to go traditional, but you can't get traction with it, it might not be the right timing. Um, yeah. either because of where your career is at or where the market is currently yeah. at. Um, and that doesn't mean that that book is dead. It, you can come back with it later or you might and, decide that you do want to try self-publishing. Yeah. And this is actually where what most authors refer to as the trunk come from comes from. We trunk a book. We, mm -hmm. we take the idea or the full manuscript or whatever, and we throw it into a trunk and we close it and we forget about it for years. Mm -hmm. I actually, so the steampunk was actually my, my second big idea for a series. My first one, I knew I didn't have the chops to write yet. It's an epic fantasy. Mm -hmm. um, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I was not ready to write that yet. Mm -hmm. And then this one, I can honestly say the the steampunk, the military steampunk uh, or the steampunk war story. I'm like, yeah, I don't really, I don't, you're right. I don't think I have the chops for this one yet either. Mm -hmm. So now I'm writing a military fantasy. Um, sorry, guys, I'm I'm a military veteran. So military science fiction, military fantasy are one of the things I really like. And so that I am looking to see if I can't get representation and a uh, a publishing house deal yeah. with. Now, I may end up self-publishing it. Like I'm, it, I, I think I'll probably give it I don't know, a year or something. Querying, yeah. And then I'll, I'll try to self-publishing. If mm -hmm. I get no traction on representation. Yeah. Now, the thesis part of that, our thesis has to be, when we say thesis, in our case, it it's a novel, 50,000 words. Mm -hmm. uh, 50,000 words is what they'll guarantee to read and give you feedback on. Mm -hmm. um, and so it has to be 50,000 words or more, ideally with at least one major revision. Mm -hmm. Um. So we are both in thesis two. I think uh, for both of our plan is to have it, have the first draft completely done by the yeah. end of this. Yeah. yeah. And then go through revisions for the second, for the, for thesis three, which is our final, yeah. our capstone course. Yeah. And I, um, mine's going to be pushing that there's an 80K maximum and mine is going to be pushing that. I'm probably going to have to make cuts. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's... <laughs> Well, it's, it's interesting. So I was like, I was gonna, so my initial idea, since one of the things we wanted to talk about was kind of our plans, my original idea was to write um, two perspective characters. One is basically fantasy rangers. So like Aragorn and the Grey Company versus zombies, and then thieves versus secret agents. 
And I was going to kind of split between and go back and forth and then, you know, come up with like half the novel or something. Now I'm like, wait a minute, I'm just going to go through all of the military fantasy version of this. So I'm going to do the Rangers versus zombies entirely. But that now is looking to be like, that's going to be like a quarter of the book. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be 50,000 words to get me through thesis, maybe grow a little bit, probably will end up shrinking a bit. So I've got between 160 and 200,000 um, for my uh, words mm -hmm. for everything. Cause I've, I've gone from two characters to four characters. Yeah. Cause I was like, Oh, this would be a cool idea too. <laughs> or, this would be a great idea because I want to show the con this conflict, this war. I want to show different yep. perspectives of it. Yeah. When you're looking at the more um, epic kind of scale fantasy, it's a, it's hard to get it to just 80,000 words. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure my plot will be able to finish through in that short amount of time. I might have to yeah. um, make some cuts for thesis and then add back more back on for publication. Yeah. Um, I had one so, professor ask, you know, is this maybe a trilogy rather than a, a single book? Um, I do want to do a single book for my first fantasy because I think, yes, could I do it better in more books? Yeah, a future me, a future version of my of myself yeah. as an author could but this is my first stab at fantasy so i'm i it's not going to be the best fantasy book you've ever read it won't it's just going to be yeah. my first attempt so whereas i'm actually kind of the opposite i think it would be much harder for me to write this as a single book i could do it with probably scale, with one yeah, perspective character mm -hmm. so yeah i'm i'm really thinking maybe you know three books or or six books or something yeah um the, the steampunk the steampunk stuff is probably going to be about a dozen books mm -hmm. um but they're probably going to be closer to novellas i think yeah shorter you know i really want to uh, stick really closely to the one character right so right yeah all right well we are um, out of time did you have something quick you wanted to add before we go no no, no. i'm good okay uh that's our time for today and we've been your hosts, Ludlow Adams. And J.S. Garrity. Thanks for tuning in. Join us next week for a new topic about the world of fiction. This has been We're Lying, But That's Okay. Big thanks to our listeners for your support. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review. Thank you to our one-man production and tech support team, Max Garrity, for making this podcast possible.